We are with you on the Brattlecast, one of my favorite spots to be. I'm Jordan Rich, and with me, of course, is Ken Gloss, the proprietor of the Brattle Bookshop in Boston on West Street. I drove by the store the other day, Ken, and man, the, the business inside and outside, booming. Well, it, it first of all, it was a beautiful day. I mean, whenever this podcast gets actually put out, but it was a beautiful day, a Saturday. And what we've been finding is the group of people coming in, it's been very busy, much younger, probably by 20 or 30 years even. The demos are changing in a good way. They're changing in a good way. You know, a lot of our regulars or the office workers still waiting, although I even noticed when I came here, there are more cars in your parking lot, so yeah. people are coming back. But uh, it, their books, maybe like vinyl records or retro, older books, but uh, everybody seems interested. Also, what's happening is a lot of our outside tables, which are sort of unique in many ways, people take so many pictures and then post them on Instagram. I think the people on Instagram, when they're coming to Boston, see them, like them, and uh, it's a it's a lot of fun interacting with new people, suggesting things to them, and also people are calling us to sell their estates and libraries. So we're getting the flow of books come in, and fortunately, they keep going out too. We love to hear that. That is great, and we'll maybe do a segment at some point on on who's reading and what and how, and because you see the trends as well as anybody. But today, we're going to focus on this episode. 19th century era textbooks, what it was like to be in school in the 19th century. Well, it's it's interesting because we get lots of calls on people saying, I have a textbook. It's, a, well, now not just 100 years old, but maybe 125, 50. And most of them, we have to say to the people, they're great, they're fun, they're not valuable. Because if you think about it, especially probably in the mid-1800s, there was a town school in probably every little county, schoolhouse, uh, town, city, uh, and every one of them probably had 20 or 30 students. Each one had books. Uh, Many of them uh, were homeschooled maybe for different reasons because there was no school to go to. But so these textbooks were put out in huge numbers and things like McGuffey's Readers, uh, science textbooks, reading and writing, mathematics are probably the main ones, reading, writing, and arithmetic. Mm. Uh, but there, there are a lot of them. Then Most of them are not high-priced till you start getting back almost to the 1700s mm-hmm. and earlier. But we went to a house recently, and obviously the family had been teachers in probably the 1860s, 70s, 80s. And we probably bought about 100, 150 school textbooks. And you start thumbing through them, and they're fun. They're really interesting. Uh, First of all, a lot of them, I have one here called the Franklin Primer, or First Reader. And it's done, let me see, the date is obscured, (laughs) but it's done about 1860 or 70. And what you get is it's trying to teach young, obviously, students in school how to read. And it starts out with the alphabet, a small a, a large a, a small, and then word lessons, and uh, pan, a pan, cap, a cap. Mm. And, but each one has a nice illustration, like dog, a dog. And you have a nice big dog mm-hmm. in a, in a doghouse, 
uh, top, a top, and you have a top spinning. And it just sort of goes on and on like that. And then it gets a little more complicated. But not only is it interesting as a book in learning and sort of when I was growing up, spot, see, spot, run. Dick see, and Jane. D- Dick right, and Jane. Right. These are, are very similar in what they were teaching. Ken, I'm looking at the back of the book. It says school textbooks uh, published by Tainter Brothers, Maryland Company. And they have, as you say, an entire list. They've got histories and arithmetic, grammar, a whole series. So this was a, a company that just did that. Yeah, and, and there were uh, absolutely – and there were companies like that – that went on. They're still around. Gin and Company is still publishing textbooks. Houghton Mifflin did a lot of them, and you, a lot of them are very simple. The the very basics. Uh, the you know a lot of them didn't get past elementary school, maybe high school. Very very few people went to college, and. So you sort of pick up an era or a time. Also, sometimes there are handwriting samples. I was just turning, flipping through, and uh, would that be the cursive style? Yeah, the old cursive Palmer hand, yeah. handmanship. Oh, it's so uh, nice. It's it's a thing of the past now. Well, it's a know. thing of the past because who handwrites anything now? What's also interesting is in this primer or primer, there's a doodle on the front cover. Well, actually, uh, I'll tell you, this gets to a little bit later period. Okay. But first of all, books like this, and, and I've got another one with me, and yeah. I was going to bring another one, but I thought I did. I didn't, on astronomy. But uh, they, they make wonderful gifts now for teachers, for students of education. You can get them for... Twenty twenty five dollars. You oh, get a hundred fifty, two hundred year old. What a book. terrific idea! And and some of them have been well used, but a lot of them are just nice mm. copies. Now, this is a little bit later, but it, it would have the same idea of almost any time, any period uh, that you have a, a a book. A person came in, and they had a uh, well. Now it's a hundred years old. It was early nineteen hundred Spanish textbook. And normally, those aren't quite as quaint as the 1840s and 50s. And the tendency, usually what I do is I use a line that my father used to use. When you're telling somebody that their book isn't valuable, but you want to let them down easily, and you say, well, it's nice, it might mean a lot, but sentimentally valuable, but not really monetary. But bring it to me in 100 years, and I'll give you $1,000. <laughs> and 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 that's exactly Love the it. reaction you get. Love and it, and it, it sort of breaks the tension. But this one was only, you know, early 1900s. There were doodles all through this book. And you could really tell where the student was bored and was bored an awful lot because there were doodles all the way through. But it was a, a – it was a – textbook that at the front said West Point. So it was obviously they were a little bit older. And Eisenhower really was bored with his French classes. I knew there was a punchline. I could just tell you were setting me up. So this was Eisenhower's French, uh, Spanish textbook while he was at West Point. And let's just say in that case, adding the doodles 
added a lot of value to the book. I would imagine. He, if memory serves, he didn't finish very high in his class. Uh, that, that doesn't matter. I think he did well, though. He did quite well. <laughs> wow. Can you talk about the other one you brought? Well, just- the other one I brought was one called Our World. And it's a geography textbook, and it has maps in it. This one is actually a little uh, newer than the other one. Uh, of course, when I, when, in my terms, when I'm talking a little bit newer, you're talking 1880s. Oh, that's— Yeah, so it's, you know, it's almost like new. But uh, one of the things that people look for many times in uh, early textbooks, especially when you get pre-Civil War, is the maps— especially if you have maps of the United States and you see what the areas looked west of the Mississippi, the mm. territories. And they're almost all politically incorrect because if you start going through these books and either how they treat the Native Americans uh, and how the attitude from the American you know, school system or Africa, the dark continent, mm. uh, Asia— you know, and, and you really see how differently people were looked looked upon uh, as opposed to the—basically, this was the white Christian— The uh, context is context, everything in Context is time. everything. It's called Our World, First Lessons Geography by Mary L. Hall. And you mentioned Gin and Company, so this was a, uh, a pretty big deal, pretty, this company. Pretty, pretty big deal, and they actually still are a pretty big deal in the manufacturing. But they're fascinating to go through because— even though you might look at them nowadays and say they're politically incorrect, if you take something like that and you sit down and explain and talk and learn and, and appreciate the differences then than now and explain why and how you have these differences, uh, you actually can learn a tremendous amount and teach lessons that are the way they should be and uh, add to them, and it's uh, so fascinating. I, I'm a little bit envious because uh, even in my high school and pre-high school days, there wasn't as much geography, and you can learn so much from the maps of the world and geography. But I, I think I, the point I wanted to make was that uh, despite the lack of perhaps political correctness, <laughs> there was an attention to detail and rote memorization and really knowing the subject matter. Well, absolutely. But the other thing that you have to realize is with books like this, a lot of the economy of the United States was in the early 1800s sending ships out, the China trade. Uh, In this part of the time, it was the railroads expanding west Mm. and, you know, the the agriculture expanding that way, Uh, the land being used. uh, And so even though you look at this simple geography, you can learn a lot about the country, what the attitudes and thoughts were. Uh, One of the books I didn't bring was an old uh, astronomy book from the 1870s. And it shows the concept of what the moon was, of the planets, the constellations, sometimes with really beautiful engravings. And I'm sure if you talk to somebody in the 1850s and 60s, other than if they read science fiction or stories at the time, the idea of going out into outer space was inconceivable, mm, mm. totally and completely. Right. But it put that idea that there's worlds out there, 
there are planets, there are things out there that you can learn from. And that probably sparked a lot of the people who eventually airplanes to rocket ships. Oh, yes. yes. So so you mentioned the number of volumes of these that might be around, uh, not giving us a number per se, but uh, is it a lot of books? Millions. how, is well, that, a, is that a big number? You gave me a number, okay? <laughs> because I, I, it's amazing that they're in some of them are in such good shape after a, well over a hundred years. Well, some of them are in good shape, uh, of course. Uh, some of them got used to you know the point where they literally fell apart. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm sure someone like Abraham Lincoln, who any book he could get, and this was. And I'm picking Abraham Lincoln as a name everybody would know. But if you were out in the countryside, books were rare. Books were hard to get, other than if you had a fair amount of money. Um, you maybe had a Bible in the house. Of course, you had to get the elementary education to be able to read the Bible. So that had a lot to do with it. And to do simple business, the element, the reading, writing, arithmetic, mm. the three R's, that's what you needed. And it, and it was only a very, very few that went from that to higher education, to learning. Right. I but, mean, Horace Mann, who developed the public school system, right? I mean, yeah. this this is all brand new in the 1800s. And the fact that uh, schoolhouses were little brick red schoolhouses and farmhouses until probably the mid-20th century. Right. And But then a lot of the state schools were agricultural schools. Absolutely. Because that's what the people needed to learn. Also, a lot of them... A lot. You get out of high school, you work in the local factories, manufacturing, and so on, which was a perfectly respectable, good career that you could raise a family. Now, even to work in the factories, you need a technical education. So you can see it progress from time to time. But what I love about the old textbooks is the illustrations, the the writing, the uh, and they make great gifts. I mean, that's really one of the things that – and people can pick up something and go, this is almost 150 years old. You, you, you actually have sparked so much. I have so many people I need to find the perfect gift for, and what a terrific idea. We've done several hundred of these podcasts, and it hasn't even dawned on me. that. And we'll t- we should do a whole episode around Christmas about the gift-giving oh, deal. It, you it, can go on forever on that. Well, when you think about it. You have a teacher. Yeah. There's a great gift. Maybe you have a graduating student, student, but maybe they're interested in traveling. You have an old geography. Maybe they're a scientist, so you get an old geology or biology book uh, or an old science. Even the old physiologies that, you know, maybe medical doctors, but, you know, what the body was. And there are loads and loads of these and so many of them, there are so many that they're very reasonably priced and get them inaccessible. You just have to look. All right. Well, one place you can look and find them, of course, is the famous Brattle Bookshop in Boston. Visit brattlebookshop.com and you can connect with Ken and ask any questions uh, through the website. Sir, I uh, think class is done for today. It's time for recess. Thank you so much. I just heard the bell ring. <laughs> we'll be back with another edition of the Brattlecast. Don't you worry. <laughs>